Hello and welcome to episode, I don't know, of the Game Dev Grid podcast. We're so busy grinding on our games, we don't know what episode it is. And today's guest is Desalane, a game developer out in... He'll tell us where he is and what he's doing. So why don't you tell us about yourself, the game you're working on, and all that stuff. It should be uh, episode 16, isn't it? Is it? All right, episode 16. <laughs> we got a man here who knows what, what he's doing. Hello, everybody. I'm Desalane. I am the host of Fields of Fire, a diesel punk World War One role-playing survival simulator. It falls under genres. It's so difficult to pin it down. Well, yeah, I was like, whoa, what is that? Tell us what that is and what you're doing at and how difficult it is and how it's killing you. That's what we want to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's amazing because it's killing me uh, mentally, which is one of the best ways to die. So physically, I'm, I'm in the top of my game. Because <laughs> when I looked at the – that you post some screenshots, people want to check it out in the Game Decret Discord – there was a lot of stuff going on. So I was like, you know, my inner programmer developer was like, whoa, how do you do that? What is this? So you want to talk about some of the systems you have in your game and how you're building them, maybe some problems you're having with them, stuff like that? Well, uh, basically, I am the host of the project. So I run everything from a design standpoint to marketing to PR. Uh, I do do some programming, quote unquote. I kind of write some of the code. I'm mostly cutting and adjusting and moving, you know, that sort of stuff. Oh, okay. So is it a collaborative project? So you have some other people you're working with? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I run the team. It, it varies between anywhere from six to a dozen people at any given time. There's always people coming in saying, oh, that's cool. I'll work on it. They'll work for a few months, and then they'll lose interest, or life comes first, or coronavirus, you know. Whoa, how does that work? How do you have a t like, how, like, that's to me is like, whoa, you know, I work alone. A lot of people have been on this podcast work alone. How do, how do you get a team? How do you get people? How does that work? Uh, people will, um, they'll see it and they'll be like, man, that looks cool. I want to work on it. And then I'll go through the vetting process. So I have, like I said, I'm the host. I have a visual director who does everything visually. So he'll do the palettes that everybody will use because it's sprite work. Uh, he'll do how each faction should work uh, aesthetically. Mm. So the development process would go by me saying, okay, I have this idea. This is how this is going to play. Because obviously I have to do the designing and the balancing of the game and how everything's going to play for the players. Uh, so I'll go to him and be like, hey, uh, we have two factions. We have the industrial communists and then we have the hyper-religious British people. And it's a World War One game, like I said, so it's taking place in the 1920s era socially, like culturally. Mm -hmm. But it takes place centuries in the future, or really the time span isn't... It's very vague as to when exactly this takes place. It could be 20 years after the war started, could be 2,000 years. I'm leaving that up for debate because it always... It removes from the overall experience whenever you start nailing down things that are intentionally vague. Mm -hmm. so like I've spoken before with a lot of people that are in the film industry not really a lot but they've done a lot and uh, they'll say monsters less scary whenever you show it and I like to take that into account with 
whenever things are intentionally vague, I'll make sure that they remain that way. So, like, we have the religion for the Western Pact, which is the, uh, the religious British people. And uh, I'm not, like, getting into super detail about the religion because it's more the effects of what that has on the people rather than itself. Yeah, and it allows people, it plays into people's imaginations so we can fill in the blanks. Yeah, a lot of times, though, I've noticed people don't like filling in the blanks. They want to just be told, like, what is this? And then they want the 40K wiki where it's like 16 pages of a Space Marine's background. And it's like, nobody, like, <laughs> that's not the intent, but okay. Yeah, and it's no fun to develop for those people anyway, in my opinion. Like, I don't want to develop stuff for those people because it's like, oh, really? Come on. So I, I develop stuff for people with imagination, so it gives you a lot more freedom. So uh, I went off on a tangent there, but anyway, the development process, the process is, is I would shoot something towards him and I'd be like, okay, how can you work this into the Western pack? And he'd be like, well, that doesn't work aesthetically. There's no way I can make something like that work. Like say I want um, a new type of gun. And I'd be like, okay, well, here's how it's going to play out. And here's how it's going to actually impact the game. Then I'd go to him and be like, okay, it's, it works kind of like a Lewis gun, but it, it shoots electricity or something. These are hypotheticals. And he'd be like, that's not going to work because their aesthetic doesn't use electricity. So I'd then go back and be like, okay, how can I change this so that it fit? It would fit with their faction aesthetically. Can you um, talk a little bit about, because I've never heard that term host for developing a game. Where does that come from? And how, how like, what is that position? Because I've never heard that before. So uh, in the Space Station 13 community, the host is the person who is the the, the top of the food chain so they would be overseeing everything uh, I don't want to say king because I don't have a god complex but they're the, the top of the food chain like a CEO so they would have to deal with everything so whenever it says shit rolls uphill <clears throat> that would be where it goes up to okay so it's referring to this, this other game that kind of I guess is that what the genre is built on is that game or something like that so it's running source code from one of the Space Station 13 servers, but it's heavily modified to be its its own thing. And people have already looked at me and been like, this doesn't look anything like it. Oh, okay, that's cool. So it's like you have all this tooling and these systems, and then you can just like refactor them and do different things with them? Yeah, so it's built in uh, DreamMaker. It's uh, hosted by Beyond, which is their own code. It's like beginner, build your own dream is what it stands for. It's Beyond. Okay, I've never heard of that before. So, and I mean, I, ma I make games, but I don't play that many games. So, can you talk a little bit about that Space Station game? Oh, that's its own, <laughs> that's its own uh, can of worms right there. So, uh, Space Station 13, uh, Almost 20 years old, I think um, it's ancient. It's a really old game based in a really old engine. started out as an atmospheric simulator, and then people started adding on to it. Now it's a full-fledged game where you play as a player running around a space station. There's Trader, there's The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, Terrorists, and it's a lot of the servers are based around role-playing. There's... A few that aren't so heavy into role-playing, they're considered low role-play, in quotations, and that basically focuses more on playing the game instead of role-playing. Uh, that sounds cool. So it's like its own little universe that's just been existing for like 20 years. 
Yeah, it's been on the niche, like, <laughs> backwaters of the internet for so long, and it always pops up. Like, uh, Seth Niche did a video on it. Uh, Remy from Down Under did a via, uh, video on it. And these big YouTubers will make videos on this tiny backwater game, and then it'll get an influx of a thousand people, and then those thousand people drop off. And it runs for about a thousand people a day, I would say, play it on the average. It might be more or less. It always fluctuates. Okay. And what would it's like... Def what would the genre be that it's in? What's its defining defining thing that makes it its own, you know, makes it special? Uh, it is a strictly multiplayer role-playing game. So it's, it's 2D, uh, top-down pixels, just... It's always a mess of stuff, and it always attracts the weirdest people on the internet, so it has a weird um, reputation. <laughs> So developing something inside of that universe, like what are what are the things you run into? Like what are the difficulties? Is it stuff with the engine or like things you want to do that you can't do? What, like what what is the dip, the main difficulty in developing what you're developing in that environment? So the the nice thing about Beyond and Dream Maker in general with that code is that there's not very many limitations that you have to worry about because anything that you want to do, you can make it do. It's it's been compared to Python or C++ code-wise. So it has that structure of simplicity while still being approachable. Oh, okay. So uh, you don't, there isn't many problems you hit into like making stuff work. The main issue that I personally have run into is just hurting cats. Like as somebody who has to lead the team and try to get everybody to focus on tasks and things that need done and prioritize things. It's difficult whenever people have their own creative ideas and they want to like follow that creative process. And I kind of limit it because I'm the big bad host that has to make sure everything's moving in the right direction. Okay. So management, so managing the team. So is it like all these people play the space station game and like, is it a thing when a bunch of people are in that universe like, man, I want to make my own thing. So then they, you know, when they see what you're doing, they're like, ah, oh, here's my chance. Uh, not necessarily. Mostly the problem that space station 13 has, and I use the crabs in a bucket analogy because it's like a closed loop that feeds in on itself. Uh, mm -hmm. All of the different servers all exist on this one hub for beyond, obviously. And they all have their own set style of how they do things. There's an alien server. There's vanilla servers. There's the OG closed source goon station stuff. And then there's uh, some furry servers if you're into that. There's some Fallout servers. Um, there's a Halo modification. Like there's a, The thing about it is, is that it's so easy to get into it, and it's all pixels. So a lot of people come through with their own ideas and spins and you know, views on how things should be and how they operate. And they're able to go ahead and enact that because it's so easy to get into. Okay. So for like its level or where it is with RPGs, what are some other like common ones maybe I would know that it would be close to in the way that it operates? Uh, if any. It's... <laughs> It's such a unique experience to get into. It has a level of complexity that you hit a stone wall trying to get into it, but once you get over that stone wall, it's just green pastures. I like to use that analogy when discussing it because there's so many new people that are thrown off by it because of its complexity. 
So, like, because it just made me think about how, like, Dwarf Fortress Forever was, like, the roguelike crazy thing that only, you know, weirdos played. And then, you know, when it was adapted to some more, like, casual type games, then it, like, exploded, you know, out into the thing. So I was just wondering if there's some, like, secret recipe that the Space Station game uses that hasn't really trickled down into the, you know, rest of game development yet. Uh, it's... I don't know if it's trickling down. It exists, like I said, in its own vacuum. So the community doesn't really... Like, they obviously play other games, but they don't... Like, they'll mainly hang around the space station community. Okay, so in developing this and and hosting it, working on it, what um, pulled you towards doing that versus working in other engines or other projects, things like that? Uh, It was the thing that I was most familiar with. I've been uh, developing in this platform for like five or six years now. I started out, um, there's three categories of development. There is coding, spriting, and mapping. And coding is obviously the programming and building the the code and how everything runs. Spriters are the catch-all term for the people that do the visual work. And then the mappers is another catch-all term that's, I've noticed this specific to the space station community. They'll build the the map that you'll actually play on and adjust the game world where mm-hmm. people dip into each different category, but there's always one that people are particularly strong in. Like I started out mapping, so I was building a game environment. And then I realized that like the coders will do big features more than just tossing in small stuff. So I started out with coding as well because I was like, well, I need this thing done, and the, the coders are off doing their own thing. I might as well figure out how to do it. So I jumped into coding and learning how to do the small stuff. And from then on, it's just ramped up exponentially. So the the mapper would be closest to, like, the level designer then? Correct. Oh, okay. So as the host, so you're doing some mapping and a little bit of the other things too, but pr- probably, like, you would be the, would you be the game designer, like the lead designer? Uh, thus far, yes. I've handled the balancing the way everything should play, the way everything's going to work. Uh, I've designed future things that the project is going to be getting. So uh, I've referred to them as expansion packs just because like, nobody likes the term DLC anymore. There's a lot of buzz terms that I don't use when I'm developing that leave a foul taste in people's mouths. Okay, so you hinted at it earlier. So if this is game dev grit, about the grit, about the gritty stuff that you know you get your hands dirty in developing games, is it the people problems, like the management? So is that the grittiest stuff you deal with? Uh, more so the, on top of managing, like I said, it's hurting cats, but there's also this expectation that you get from the community and the people that are waiting patiently and the people that want to see things in a game and they want to see it out and they want to play it. Granted, like I said, I've been building it off of uh, source code that already has a game existing, and I've just been modifying that. So granted, I could have just thrown in the sprite work and released like a TDM, you know? But I didn't want that to be the experience, because that's not what Fields of Fire is going to be about. It's not the game that you just go and shoot the bad man and make him dead. It's delving into all of these other aspects of it, which is like, well, how are you going to eat while you're in this trench in these horrible conditions and it's got occult horror it's got big walking mechs everybody with a different language wants to kill you because it's obviously countries fighting each other anybody in a different uniform wants you dead 
you also have to worry about eating you have to worry about sleeping and drinking you have to worry about your mental state like you see your buddy blow up obviously it's going to affect you in a negative way I, like i said i could have released a tdm where you just shoot the bad man but i wanted it to be so much more and thus far it's been in development for about a year the that's a really cool name how, how did you come up with the name so it's funny, while I was in basic training, we were only allowed to read uh, books pertaining to the military. And there was a book called Fields of Fire. It's a Vietnam book. And uh, it, it was delving so much more into the personality of people that were in the war. So it started out in the novel outside of the war with this dude who was like a, like a hood rat. You know, he was in the ghetto. He had tattoos and he was named after his tattoo. And then he was obviously drafted and sent off to Vietnam. And it delves into his experiences with the people around him and uh, his experiences in the war and how that affects him as a person. I mean, in the end, like, I'll spoil it. He dies. It's whatever. But uh, the name always stuck to me because it was such a, it's such a cool fucking name. You know? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit since, um, as far as anyone's divulged, you'd probably be the first person I interviewed on this podcast who had any military service. Can you talk a little bit about how um, whatever discipline or techniques or things that you learned while in the military have helped or hindered you in game development? So uh, somebody else actually asked that in the community uh, a couple weeks ago because uh, they knew I was um, – I was only in a National Guard. Like, I'm not going to fucking beef it up and be like, yeah, yeah, it was big, bad soldier. Like, no, I was National Guard. You know, it has its own struggles and problems, and, you know, the suicide rate is just as high, but whatever. Um, he goes, uh, how's the National Guard going to affect the game? Like, how's your time in service and dealing with the military, going off to basic, going off to California, Fort Irwin, going off to Macedonia? How's all this going to play into how you develop the game? Does it affect it? I said, no, because it, it already has impacted me as a person in the way that I do things. So I'm not going to try and push the extra 10 miles to try and force it into the game. You know, like it already hit me as the person designing it. So I've already got the discipline and the way things have impacted me thus far playing into how I do things in my day to day and how I handle designing the game and running the team. So I'm not going to go the extra mile and try to push for it. You know what I mean? Cause then it would be just 10 steps over, when it's already at five, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking because, I mean, on, on a game of, you know, any scale beyond, like, some little thing, it's a grind. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of discipline to stick with it. And just in my experience, working freelance for a couple different game places, most of the people that I worked with and around were, like, extremely unhealthy and didn't have the best uh, personal habits to, like, keep themselves working for, like, a year or two, you know? on a project. So I was just wondering about that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. No. Um, I was actually looking at, I believe his name is Tim Russwick. He has a thing as well where he talks to developers and his thing is game dev underground or something. And he, he's very uh, focused on like how it mentally affects people and emotionally because game development, I mean, you'll sit there and work on a project for so long and then like, you know, you don't reach a playable state in a year and you don't reach it in two years and it starts grinding down on you and just wearing away at your soul because you're like, man, is this, is this ever going to play out? Is all this hard work going to be for nothing if this doesn't work? Yeah. I talked about a breath. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, sorry. no. I 
Yeah, I was just wondering because, um, you know, it's like most ventures, most people are going to end up quitting and not, not shipping, not completing the thing. So I was just wondering if there's something that you picked up, um, given that, you know, I haven't talked to anyone else who had any t other type of service. Except there was one guy on YouTube I was following who I saw in the Unity Discord who was also in the National Guard, and he was developing this 2D game. And he was doing these devlogs, but then he disappeared and never came back. So I don't know if he got called into service or whatever, but I just thought it was interesting because I'm like, man, it's hard enough already. Oh, yeah. Um, whenever I was still in, see, I got out in January, fresh out of the civilian world, uh, not having that obligation every month. So it's it's still a little jarring where I'm like, oh, crap, it's a weekend. I'm like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> Oh, I see. Is that where the term weekend warrior came from? Yeah. Um, some people get really upset about it. I've never actually uh, noticed it as a problem. Some people also refer to National Guard as uh, gate guard because when I was in Iraq, that's all they did was sit on the gate. Like, that's the number one story that I've heard. Uh, I never, like, I never took offense to it, but, like, yeah, some people randomly, I I didn't even think of it, but I guess it would be a derogatory term. But I was just, oh, you know, I'm just interested in the, like, is that where it came from? I didn't know the National Guard only did weekends. I didn't know that, so. Yeah, uh, one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year, they'll go to annual training AT, which for us it was in Fort Drum, New York, which I'm not even going to get started at that place. It it rains constantly. It's like that scene out of Forrest Gump where it's like it rained and rained and rained. Yeah. Fields of Fire. Yeah, that name, it elicits like hmm, people burning and pain and torment and a, a big campaign, a big, yeah. So the the premise behind it is that it's an eternal war and it has, it pulls a little bit from 1984 and the fact that like, whenever I describe that to people, it's like, this war just keeps going. They're like, well, every war has to end, right? Like, it's a war. Like, nobody wants that to happen, which is true. But on the same hand, it's like the war on terror right now. Like, if the government wants that to keep going, there's not much you can say. <laughs> like, Yeah. The thing that in real life has been going on for 20 years, uh, I can't imagine, you know, if in World War One, it was already stagnant with, like, you'd be sitting in the same trench for you know, months on end, not doing anything. So if you're, if the government is already a bunch of religious fanatics that are like, hey, we can use this war to help our, our power stay in control here, then why wouldn't they? Can, can you talk a little bit about the, the development? Like, did you come up with the title first and then what you're going to do with the world and what it was going to be? Or did you have a general idea of what you want to do and then you put the title on it? Can you talk a little bit about that? So, uh, once upon a time, many years ago, uh, it was hosted by a different individual who was running things. Uh, he was Eastern European, which those those guys always come up with like the best games, like Stalker, like the genres that come out of like Russia and Eastern Europe always have like Darkwood, you know, like that kind of stuff is always just out there and existential and dreading. And it always has this feel to it where, you know, like this game came from a certain place. And uh, he wanted it to be grim, dark World War One, and he he mistook that as like the visuals need to be dark, whereas like grim, dark's more of a genre anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
So I was mapping back then for them. I was building the gameplay environment. We jumped through a bunch of code bases and handled things uh, a little awkwardly. So it wasn't like the best managed, but I'm not going to like, you know, raw dog the guy. I'm not going to talk bad about him. But uh, so that eventually fell off because uh, I believe a lack of motivation combined with a lack of code. It was kind of code starved, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I revived it. Uh, I believe two or three years later, I revived the project and I was still very fresh in the mindset. Like I had only been developing for like, you know, two, three years at that point. So I was like, Hey, this will be easy. If he could do it, I could do it. If these other guys can run their own servers, I can run mine. Why not? I jump into it and it's, I definitely bit off more than I could chew. So at that point, uh, it shut down yet again, uh, as the second iteration and I basically came back after I've been applying myself for years of looking over design and how other people have designed games over the times. I've looked at um, uh, War Stories. It's a series that some people on YouTube do where they uh, actually talk to like big AAA developers. And their first episode was like that lead designer for Dead Space. Like it's that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I started reading and watching videos, listening to podcasts, watching seminars, getting into things, live streams, just honing my skill on design and figuring out how to run the a team, how to manage things, how to design the game, just really stuck my nose to the grind on that. And it's definitely paid off thus far because, like you were saying earlier, the game that I'm currently building from the ground up is, has gotten nothing but positive feedback on how like the vision of it is going to play. And we're reaching demo state soon. We have the vertical slice getting set up, so that's going to be out the door soon. But um, So after all of that, putting my nose to the grind, I came back and I was like, I came to the original people who were on the team first, and I was like, hey, do you guys want to revive this? I know you guys did it last time. It didn't really turn out, and that was my fault. I'm going to take accountability for that, but I'm letting you guys know now things are going to be handled much better and much differently because I've got more experience under my belt and I've definitely learned a bit. They're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And at that point, I said, uh, it's going to be Diesel Punk. And that was the first thing. Diesel Punk World War One was just like the first notion of design where I looked at it and was like, this is how it's going to be. And people were like, oh, that sounds interesting. So uh, can you tell us more? So at that point, Obviously, all I had was Diesel Punk World War One. So I was like, "Ah, oh, crap! I gotta start building more about it. Like, how are these people living in the world? How are they reacting to the things happening? How's the war going to play out? How's the game going to play out? Because you always have to balance the lore with the game. You can't just have one or the other. Otherwise, it turns into either, you know, Mass Effect with the nothing but story and you know just on the rails kind of gameplay, or it turns into like Call of Duty with no story and all shooting. Yeah, how how close? Um, being a host in this game, in this universe, is, is would it be like being a dungeon master? Because it's kind of, you know, when you said the people asked you, like, what's it going to be like? You know, it's like, hey, you got to tell your story, right? You got to win them over. Like, you got to do the thing. Yeah. And um, that, like, honestly, like we were saying earlier with the, uh, like I said, the expectations. Games nowadays, the gaming industry nowadays has been saturated by, because it's so easy to build a game now because you can just hop on Unity and 
you know, slap together a game, put it on Steam and Greenlight Early Access and sell it for 10 bucks or 5 bucks, and you suddenly have this, these assets thrown together, and it's that easy. And people are used to that sort of thing, where they'll also hear about something at E3, where it's already been in development for four years, but now it's out the door in two months, three months, six months tops. The only game that I can think of that's still doing it like they used to in the olden times is um, uh, Cyberpunk. Uh, 2077 or whatever the hell it's called. Oh, the, yeah, the Witcher guys. Isn't that the Witcher guys? Uh, I believe so. CD Projekt Red. Yeah. More this, Eastern those, Europeans. <laughs> yeah, they always come up with the best ideas, dude, I'm telling you. But uh, they, they're they doing things like how it used to be done where a game would sit in the office for years and years and years and years and because back then we didn't have all the social media and the outlets that we have now, you wouldn't even hear about them until they were ready for release. That's the same problem problem that I'm coming up with now is that I've been developing it for a year now because it's it's April. It started last April, uh, truly. I mean, it. I started setting up the framework in February, and then we started like true development direction in April. But uh, people are like, "When's the game? When's the game? When's the game?" And I'm like, "It's it has to reach a point where I want." where I feel like it would be good for you guys to play it because I, I, I would feel like bad if I would release something that people were disappointed in, you know, like that would hit me worse than just like not releasing at all. Yeah. It's kind of like tough love, you know, like they want it now, but you know better, like, no, I can't give it to you right now. Cause you know, you just got to wait. Withholding things because like, and like I said, the people are really hyped for it and excited for it. The people have had, patience to sit around and like listen to the the development and the process and me releasing information on how things have been going because we've had some serious innovative changes from the norm like i said it's based in space station 13 we've had some serious innovation pulling away from that but not so far that it it completely changes how it plays and looks you know so it's still the base formula but it's it's so altered and has all these innovative features that People have been really, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe for p other people like me, like I'm unfamiliar with the platform or the engine. So what would it be like? It's like working, you know, inside that universe with the, the servers and all that stuff. So is all the multiplayer stuff is all worked out for you? You just like run the server and like what's done for you in that system and what you have to do? Uh, you basically just build the code and the things that people will play in. Uh, Beyond has its own hosting service, uh, so you just click the go button and you open a port and you bam, you're hosting from your computer or from a server. Oh, that's cool. So be, build your own dream has all this framework that I think is, I mean, it's really good for like new developers to get into. Granted, it doesn't have the publicity that it really should. And I feel like if it had a lot more people like it would be a better place, but uh, it's it's a very closed environment. Uh, the servers all try to work together, but there's always some sort of drama going on. Like there has to be in you know communities. Yeah, and you said the build your dream code base is like, or it's like Python or C plus plus. Is that what you were saying? I mean, I've never worked in either of those, so I'm not going to say from personal experience. But I've been told, and if you look on the subreddit, that's what people will relate it to the most. So okay, because. From what I don't know, I mean, I'm new to programming too, so I'm like C++ and Python. I thought Python was like the super flexible, easy thing, and then C++ is like the super strict. Well, I guess it's flexible and they can do anything you want in it. Maybe that's what they mean. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's also a simplicity of structure. So there's a lot of like a lot of things that I work with are built in if statements. So that sort of thing. Yeah. So so what does your day to day look like working on this game? Like, what are you doing? What's going on with the with the development? Uh, daily, I have to get progress reports from people. So I'm constantly like, hey, uh, Spriders, what are you guys working on right now? And they'll be like, I'm working on this. I'm not able to work because of this. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. I'm collecting information on how everybody's doing and what they're working towards. And then I have this, this mental state of how things should be. So uh, so the co-host or like the the vice host or the other guy who sub run thing who runs things, you know, the second in command, he's our second dedicated programmer coder. So uh fire, like the game wouldn't be where it is today without the team though, and I can't stress that enough because the team does this vetting process. Like I feel like if it was just me alone doing this, uh it would be just me throwing out, you know, crappy ideas. And the nice part is, is I can throw out a crappy idea and then the team will jump on that and refine it. So even if they just, you know, shit all over it and, you know, like ruin my hopes and dreams, I'm still getting something out of that. Like criticism is probably one of the best things to improve yourself on. No, man, that is great. Like me, I just like go to bed and like tell my wife what I'm doing. She's like, well, that's, you know, she's not interested. So then I try to find other people online and like throw it at them. But yeah, that's great if you have people to bounce ideas off all the time. Yeah, it definitely helps out a lot because uh, another thing, like I was saying earlier with the development process, I'll go through the, the visual guys and be like, okay, here's how it's going to look and they'll adjust it and change it how they need to. And then I'll go to the other programmer because I code myself, but he's he does like big features, like stuff that I can't handle. Like the, uh, we have a persistent vault. So uh, Space Station 13 normally runs round by round. So each round is a fresh wipe of the server completely brand new resets to factory default and then throws you into it and you have no prior experience of any of the prior rounds. Well, in this, we have a persistent safe system so you can, if you like a shotgun and you got it, like you scavenged it on the no man's land, you can throw it in that vault and it'll save over between rounds forever as long as that character exists. Well, that's cool. What, um, what kind of tools are you using for your online collaboration with your team? Uh, literally just Discord. Like it's, Discord's been such a godsend recently, like since it came out, like we jumped on that like everybody else did. And it's, it's been so nice to just have this one place where stuff sits so I can hit the search function and go back and be like, oh yeah, we did discuss this already. Here's what we came out of it. Let's go back to it now that we're actually working on it. Cause I'll throw an idea out or somebody will throw an idea out and then it'll get looked at and bounced around. And then whenever it actually comes time to work on it, now we can go back to it. How do you handle, because the thing that I found with Discord, like, how do you handle the time stuff where it's it's great if everyone's there now or the, the content, the stuff you're scrolling through is like yesterday or whatever, but how do you deal with stuff that, like, that is like weeks old? Do you pin it? Like, what are your techniques for like, you want to find what so-and-so said or posted like six months ago, you know, after there's been all this text after, how do you deal with that? Uh, incredibly easy. Just from user uh, has whatever in channel the dev channel like it's super easy to just type in specifically what i'm looking for if i remember the context of what we were talking about i can jump back to that and then it's just scrolling up or down on you know where that message or what we spoke about was in particular so just like the search function built in a discord yeah it's, it's that easy we also have oh. a 
bot in the Discord. So we have some API set up with that so that we can tell the bot to set a reminder. So I can be like, hey, bot, in, in seven days, remind me to, uh, I don't know, change how the sprites look on this one item because they updated the sprites. Okay. And are all the people you're working with on this project, are they all people you've met online? Are they people you've known in real life? Like, how does that work? Uh, they're all people I've met online. We've discussed actually like getting together and doing things like in an enclosed environment. But of course they're all overseas and from out of country. Like I'm in America. We have one guy in Africa. We have one guy in uh, Eastern Europe, like time zones are all over the place. But when the game goes big, man, you'll have the money so you can all fly together to the game developers conference. <laughs> oh man, dude, that's been like the meme for so long. I like, oh, <laughs> when this hits the fan, dude, we can, we can move on to a real platform like Unity or, or something else, and we'll have a real Fields of Fire. It won't be pixels based on some other source code. Dude, like, pixels are awesome. Dude, I love pixel art so much. I've been doing pixel art for my game, like for the UI stuff. It's so cool. Like, I love pixel art. So, The nice thing is that our, our pixel art, compared to a lot of other servers, is so much better, and that's been one of the primary selling points for Fields of Fire over anywhere else is just the visuals. Like, I cannot give the, the spriting team enough credit. Like, I would kiss each and every one of them on the mouth unless they had Corona. Yeah, and I think, I, like we said something about imagination earlier, I think the pixel art lends to your imagination because you have to fill in the pixels, you know? You want to imagine that dude in HD, 8K, whatever, it's like, use your imagination. But we're only giving you 64 pixels or whatever. Yeah, the the roughest part about it is is recently we've been trying to design the flags for these fictional factions that exist, which are just uh, conglomerates of countries that work together in this big war. We've been trying to design a flag for them. The main issue that we've been coming across is you can slap together a sign super easy with like stuff that you find on Google, but it needs to transfer into pixels. So those guys need to be able to do it in 32 by 32 or 64 by 64, which is really rough when you have like a detailed, nice sign or a flag. And then the pixel guys are like, yeah, what? this is too much like simplify it yeah that's the awesome thing about pixel art i'm not that good yet but it's like magic when you do things like when you're zoomed in and you add this other color pixel and then you zoom out and it's like what it looks like he has a mustache now but you know like nothing's there it's totally magic imagination yeah dude i've been um like i said i primarily do the game environment that the players will be playing in the mapping aspect and i dip my hands into the coding but i have very little touch the spriting aspect of it and whenever i have it's just been adjusting or copy and pasting aspects of a sprite like say i need a stack of crates i'll just copy and paste the crate on top of another one and that's the extent of my knowledge yeah what's the standard uh size you guys are using is it 32 or 64 uh it's both we have um the main thing that ss13 uses is 32 by 32 you can have 64 by 64, and that's the second most common. We have some, uh, I think our one uh, church altar for the Western Pact is 168 or some weird size, but obviously that needs scaled into a 32 by 32 and just multiplied. Oh, okay. So, it would, so the multiplication for the file itself would have to go from 32 to 64 to uh, 96 to 108 or whatever the next bump up is. Like, it has to be incremental of 32. Okay, and 
one of the final things we'll do in this podcast. You mentioned something about being close to releasing a vertical slice or something like that. So what's your plan with that? Like we've talked a little bit on the Discord I hear Game Dev Grid about marketing and how to release stuff and what you have to do. What's your plan for that? So the vertical slice is going to be such a godsend because people I feel like people have kind of lost interest because like at first when I throw out the idea and how the the game is like people are like yeah man i want to play it and then, like i said it's not out yet it's not ready to play so getting this vertical slice out will hopefully draw in people to see it and uh the worst part is that like the the first impression is the most lasting impression so i have to make sure that we really nail this vertical slice and then when public release goes out that's our next big step whenever the full game comes out it's it has to be good and it has to be how we want it to be designed because like when people jump on for the first time and it's shit, that's all it's going to be in their mind forever. People will, will even if you work on something for three months, six months, a year or two, people will still remember that first time they jumped on and be like, "Yeah, it's shit. I don't want to touch it." Yeah, that is a good point. So the first impression is the biggest impression. Is that what it was? The first impression is the most lasting. Okay, is the most lasting. All right. And then I know on the Discord for Game Dev Grip. We're posting links to these GDC talks where people are talking about how to market your games. You know, there's that whole thing like you got to put your game in a GIF. Your whole game plays in a GIF, like your loop or whatever. Um, and you know, this whole thing got to post on Reddit and all this stuff. I don't have an opinion on it. What's what's your strategy or your opinion on that kind of stuff? What are you planning to do? So when I was actually talking to somebody who's who does films, um, I won't say their name because I don't know if they care or not, but. Uh, probably don't, but whatever. Uh, they do a lot of short films, really nice ones on YouTube, and you know, sparking millions of views. So I talked to them, and I help proofread their stuff. And you know, so I was talking to them, and I'm like, man, how like how do you build a film? Because I have zero film experience, and I was looking at like a trailer or something to sum up. Because like, you're like when you go on Steam and first crack open a game on the page, first thing you're met with is a video and then screenshots. That video has to encompass everything that your game is about and give the right mood and because I don't have that experience. That's my number one blocker where I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do this. How do you even get into it? You know, but that, that trailer that you put out to people has to be the, the hook, you know, that has to hook them in where they actually want to be invested and actually get into it and experience the rest. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have a background in film making and um, it would be something like the elevator pitch or the log line. That's kind of a, another thing that's used in the film world to talk about selling stuff or marketing or whatever. So like what's your elevator pitch and then your elevator pitch is in your trailer and you know what makes it remarkable, that whole thing. So, okay. So just having a good trailer. Uh, I mean, that's as far as I know, because like I said, like I'm not, I hate to say it, but I'm not like real huge into marketing because I feel I understand it's a strategy for corporations that are established to like put up an ad on TV or on YouTube and interrupt your time. But like I as a person don't like seeing ads like I I'm like, OK, screw off. Can I watch my video now? So for me to be like, oh, yeah, I want to go market. I want to shove my stuff in somebody else's face. It just makes me feel like a POS, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. I run ad block and everything. I even have a pie hole that takes all my internet traffic and sucks ads out before I see it. So I'm with you. Like, I'm not marketing my game. I'm just like, I'm going to make some cool ass shit and then put a trailer out. 
But the reason I ask is because, like, I, I imagine that's not a plan for everybody. I don't know. So um, That's got to be the roughest thing, though, is whenever you don't have marketing and you make this cool-ass thing, and then you're like, ah, oh, but 10 people are playing it. But, like, somebody told me on the team one time, they were like, man, I'd rather have 10 people really like it than have 10,000 shitty people come in and, you know, muck it up. You know, something I think about a lot, though, like, I don't do social media at all, except for YouTube. That's the only thing I have. But I'm like, man, it's so easy. You can be nobody from nowhere and in 30 seconds have millions of people see it, you know, with the right luck. You get the right person to say something about it or whatever. So it's like, I still think even if you're not marketing at all or doing anything, you're still just one step from, like, blowing up. So my kind of thing is, like, I'm just going to make something really unique and awesome and, like, you know whatever the world's going to do you know whatever it's going to do with it but i think because i see a lot of like that i mean you know it's people trying to recoup their money and a lot of fear and it's like um though on the flip side too a lot of the games i see that they're pitching are just mediocre so it's like dude yeah you got to market the hell out of a game that sucks because you got to like convince people you know to buy it whereas if it's really good people want to buy it i think what's your opinion on that yeah i mean like it's See, that's the worst part about, like, being the dude in charge of public relations and marketing is that, like, it tears me up as a person. Because, like I said, like, I hate shoving shit in people's faces, but at the same time, like, nobody's going to know about it unless it gets out there. Like, which is why, like, I was, I'm super interested in jumping on podcasts and talking about stuff because, like, it's my way of, I guess, rationalizing that I'm trying to put it out there without shoving it in people's faces like if somebody's interested in watching they'll watch you know like i'm not going to throw it in their face but you know with what you're doing like you said if a thousand people are using that engine every day or playing that or playing games within it you kind of have like a hardcore audience already built in that you can reach easily and then you can just use that hardcore audience if what you make is great then they'll spread it for you yeah that's that's been my argument for most of it is that like people will if people enjoy something like there's this game freeman guerrilla warfare and it always makes people think of half-life because of freeman in the name i don't know why it's literally just mountain blade with guns and i went and picked it up for like i think it was on sale for like 15 bucks or something like it's it's a decent game but like the only publicity that i've ever seen of it is like an off youtube video and that's the nice thing is that like if if somebody likes it you don't even have to go and bug people as a developer you have to go to influencers and be like hey do this because they'll see it and do it themselves. Yeah, something that bugged me too, you know, speaking about things I don't want to do, is that I've seen a lot of developers online <clears throat> actually changing the designs of their games to appeal to YouTube people and Twitch streamers, which I just think is bizarre. Uh, what do you think of that stuff? Have you seen that? I mean, one nice thing that I've seen come out of that, though, is the the thing on Twitch where the chat can actually impact the game, because they'll do this thing where they'll throw in random events. Like, I know RimWorld has this mod where the chat can, like, throw in stuff, and they'll throw in a random event. Or uh, Death and Taxes has this thing where, like, you can ask the chat to vote on whether or not somebody should die. Like, that's one good thing that I feel... Oh, that can't. is cool, yeah. Because, like, it's it's not so impacting that it would mess you up if you were just a casual player and you like really if you're just an influencer or a twitch streamer that's using it it gives your audience the ability to actually interact with you and the game that you're playing instead of just like talking in a box on the side 
Yeah, I haven't thought about it that much, but I kind of see like the YouTube people and the it's like <clears throat> in the world because I come from the world of film. It's like they're like movie reviewers or commenters to me. So like the most famous one in the '80s were Siskel and Ebert. I think both of them are dead now, or maybe one of them. But I was like, well, what if you changed your movies to appeal to the movie reviewers? That's just weird. So I'm like, why would you change your game? to appeal to the reviewers, but I guess they're salesmen too, so you're helping them sell it. I mean, at the same time, like, I can, like I said, I'm arguing for something positive, but, like, I like to look at both sides of the book before I open it, and the the issue is is that, um, completely derailed my train of thought. You're not, so you're not going to put a playable PewDiePie character in your game in 1917? <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, if somebody wants to make that, though, they totally could. And, you know, I would just shit on them if they named their person that. Because you can build your character, and then you can name them. And, like, I'm hoping to reward people that are, like, actually giving a shit instead of just, like, you know, slapping something together. You could use, like, a regex filter to, like, block stuff or, like, change it automatically when they try to use the name or something and curse them forever. <laughs> Give them the plague when they spawn. <laughs> Have the rats just constantly chasing them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, fuck, I, seriously, I can't remember what we were talking about. Oh, yeah, changing your game to the, the, YouTube the reviewer. So here's the thing. Uh, like, criticism, like I said, is how you like adjust things positively like if somebody shits all over what you're doing you you have to you have to kind of cherry pick that you know like if somebody doesn't like you as a person or doesn't like your your brand name or they don't like your idea or they don't like your game or maybe they feel you've wronged them obviously they're going to shit on what you're doing that's just a given but you have to cherry pick and be like okay maybe there's something in this you know text wall of hatred that i can pull out and use to improve on so i always look at like even bad publicity is good publicity. I don't. I forget where that came from. I know I heard it in Payday Two once. But except if you're labeled a pedophile, I don't think that's ever good publicity. <laughs> that, would, that definitely ruined somebody's image. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I agree that quote. Yeah. That's funny because uh, the one. Oh, gee, I don't want to talk about it. The one host of the server actually got called out for that. Oh man, that was a rough time for them. <laughs> That's just me being autistic. Like I saw the headline of this post and it was like, do the thing in life you can't stop thinking about. And I was like, I should murder a bunch of people. Like, no, <laughs> like don't tell people to do that. You know? Yeah. So drag my nuts through a mile of broken glass. Got yeah. it, dude. So put a fishbowl on my head filled with rats, you know, like, no. <laughs> Fucking send the chief, I got you. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know, making games is hard enough. And then when, you know, the marketing and trying to figure out, like, what are these people? What should I do? What do you want me to do, world? I mean, I'm not going to do that, but I know it messes with a lot of people. If they're trying to recoup money, you know, they gambled it all or whatever. I mean, like, the... So I had some, like, I don't know if it's beef or whatever. I had some altercations with somebody else and i remember seeing that they said somewhere uh they should slap uh, an overlay on fields of fire and i remember thinking at the time and i still think this to this day like if the visuals of the game are one of the most defining aspects like why would me as the developer go and slap a bloom on it or like slap some sort of like tint over the entire screen or some kind of grainy filter like that if people like how your shit looks don't wreck it <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like taking fine food and pouring some crappy sauce all over the whole thing. It's like, dude, if the food's good, just eat it. <laughs> yeah, we're putting too much salt in it. Like, it's like if people are like, man, this is a good game. It looks really good. Then I'm not going to go out of my way to take your criticism and make it worse. You know, that's what I was saying about the cherry picking thing. Like, well, hey, that's yeah. the curse of the blessing of the host, right? You're the one that has to choose. And if people like bitch about it or not, it's like, you got to take the hits. Oh yeah. No, like I was a, a head administrator on that halo server that I was talking about for years. And like, I was 110% fine as being seen as the bad guy. Like that was my job as the head admin was like, man, I got to make the tough calls. Like, no, like nobody wants to ban somebody. Like nobody wants to kick somebody out of a server or a place where they, you know, could be and contribute. But if, you know, if you have to, if they're too toxic or they act like a piece of shit, dude, you have somebody to. likes doing that. You know, there's somebody that loves banning people. Yeah, dude, it makes me feel warm inside. That's been my <laughs> Well, reaction. not you. I'm not saying you, but there, I, there's got to be people who like the power of like, I'm the god of the ban hammer. Oh, that the power trip is what kills me every time. Like when I hire on a new moderator and they start power tripping, I'm like, hey, man, you need to chill you need to tone it down a few notches <laughs> and then they go to the bar and like try to pick up women and be like see that guy over there i could ban him you know and it doesn't work and they're just like oh, I'm back to the server i'm an off-duty cop <laughs> in the game in the game world i'll just have you know you know uh, stretch here and pull out my phone so i can show you i'm a moderator on discord uh. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a good one. You could say stuff like, I'm worth over $70 trillion. And then under your breath later, like, inside the game world. <laughs> In World of Warcraft, made a million gold. Yeah, that actually works. I've been saying horrible insults to my wife, and then I pause, and then I go, it's something I would never say to you. <laughs> if if I would want to do that. <laughs> so, cool. So, <laughs> people that, um, that are listening want to know more about Fields of Fire. Where do they go? What do they do? So people have been asking me about like a website or a forum and the problem with forums is that they're rather archaic in my opinion. Like honestly, forums, like they're a good place if you want to go back and get information that was posted like years ago. Like they're a good source of pertinence. The problem is, is that people don't want to use them anymore. Like it's not 2003. So we mm. literally primarily go through Discord. Okay. So you have a Discord for the game? Yeah, it's it's been out since... as. As long as it's been in development, it's only been open since like December or October, I believe, because like, obviously I wanted us to have a few months and I obviously didn't even want it to be open to the public at the current point in time, but people were pushing for it. Like, where can I learn about it? Where can I hear more? Where can I stay up to date? So I'm like, okay, the Discord's open to the public. Invite your friends. And now we have people that are like, when's the game? When's the game? When's the game? When's the game? I'm like, this is why I didn't want it open so early. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of good for motivation, though, because you know that people are waiting for it, too. Oh, man, that's the worst part, though. Like, we've already had people who are like, I want to throw money at it. So I'm like, okay, cool, throw money at it. And then after they do it, I realize I'm like, oh, no, now I'm obligated. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Somebody but is throwing money. Yeah, you're going to do it. So in the show notes, we'll post a link. If you give me the link to the Discord, we'll post it in there so people that are – that. Whoever listens to this can go click on it, check it out. So is there any parting words you want to leave people with um, out there? Most, I think the people listening to this are making games, probably. So, uh, Just 
just don't get disheartened whenever things don't go your way and definitely definitely take criticism like i said with a grain of salt like cherry pick that shit for positives because the if somebody can say the worst thing that you've ever heard to you but it's valid like you can still improve yourself from that like i I don't like it when people act like babies and be like oh they said a mean thing so i'm just gonna ignore them like no cherry pick it because they said a mean thing for a reason like (laughs) yeah and the definition of quote mean thing has slid a lot over time so like anything is a mean thing now you know so yeah definitely so you know there's always something valid behind what people say whether it's positive or negative you know some people will just suck your dick for the sake of sucking your dick because you're in a position where they want something from you and they'll do it and then suddenly they're on your good boy list and they have brownie points on the other hand of that somebody will say something to you that you might not like strictly because they don't like that you're in the position that you're in from both of those you can take a positive just don't let the positive feedback overblow your ego. Don't let the negative feedback kick you into the dirt. Both things are something that you can learn and improve on. Yeah, good points. So thanks for being on the Game Dev Grip podcast, Desolane, and I wish you luck on your game. And anybody that's listening, go follow along on the Discord. And yeah, if as it goes further along sometime, we'd like to have you back on so you can update us, you know, on if everything hasn't burned down. <laughs> dude i'd love to be back this was a good conversation it was very progressive and helped me out a bit all right cool thanks for being on and then yeah i see you're in the discord so if anybody wants to talk to desolane he's in there asking questions whatever follow his server i think you can do that on discord i don't even know how to use discord so thank you again for being on and look forward to talking to you again in the future oh yeah dude just let me know